Good morning, family. Today is the day of Pentecost, the birthday of the Christian church. We're also in the middle of three very important days in the Christian calendar. Last Sunday, we celebrated the Ascension, Jesus's coronation, if you will, as king over everything. Today is Pentecost, when we remember that God sent his Holy Spirit to equip and to empower the followers of Jesus. Next Sunday is Trinity Sunday, when we traditionally focus on God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But today is Pentecost. Pentecost comes from the Greek meaning 50th, and today is the 50th day after Easter Sunday. Now, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus, took place at the Jewish feast of the Passover. 50 days after Passover is the Jewish festival to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, a celebration of the wheat harvest. And so, as it turned out, the death of Jesus coincided with Passover, and the arrival of the Holy Spirit coincided with the Feast of Weeks. Now, for the Christian church, Pentecost is often considered to be the birthday of the church. So let's read from Acts chapter 2. It's the story of the day when the church was born. Now, it's a long story with some pretty tricky names in it, but I'm going to spare you all of that and only read the first four verses, okay? Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had come, they, that means the apostles, were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Here we have the great Pentecost scene, the disciples together in one place with wind and fire and the sudden rush of foreign languages. It's an amazing and important scene that we revisit and reread every year. The early disciples of Jesus were filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, who transformed them into passionate and able followers of Jesus. Now, please notice that there is nothing wrong with the apostles before Pentecost. Granted, their track records weren't great, but they were doing okay. They were obeying and praying and worshiping and waiting. They were joyful followers of the risen and now ascended Jesus. They were doing what Jesus told them to do, awaiting further instructions and the power to carry out those instructions. Okay, let's file that away. What I want you to see today is that Pentecost goes hand in hand with the Ascension, and both Pentecost and Ascension go hand in hand with Trinity Sunday next week. Now, as I mentioned last week, Luke gives us two accounts of what we call the Ascension. At the end of the Gospel according to Luke, and at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus led the disciples to a mountain or a hilltop where he was taken from them and returned to his heavenly throne at the right hand of God the Father. Most folks in our corner of the church tent don't know what to do with ascension. Many Western Christians are confused about the ascension because we're accustomed to thinking of heaven and earth in the wrong way. We assume that first century Christians thought of heaven as a place way up in the sky, so they must have imagined Jesus as a kind of primitive space traveler heading upwards to sit beside God somewhere in the clouds. 
And we've got this notion that heaven and earth are a long way away from each other, so that if Jesus has gone off to be with God, whatever that means, he has left us behind. We've told ourselves that he is now far away, watching us from a distance, off in another dimension altogether. So it only stands to reason that someday we'll fly off to some distant place called heaven, leaving earth behind once and for all, right? But this way of understanding the ascension is, quite simply, wrong on all counts. The early Christians, most of whom were Jewish, saw heaven and earth not as distant, separate entities, but as the overlapping, interlocking spheres of God's creation, as if heaven is the control room from which everything is run. The ascension tells us that Jesus is still actively involved in and king of the world. He is active in our lives and not a million miles away. Now, if you stop and think about it, the Bible doesn't say much about our going to heaven. But it says a lot about heaven, and it says a lot about Jesus coming back to earth. And that is the story in the opening of Acts. And Pentecost in Acts 2 means what it means within that story, not some other way around. At Pentecost, the personal presence of Jesus with the apostles becomes the personal power of Jesus in the apostles. The personal presence of Jesus with the apostles becomes, thanks to Pentecost, the personal power of Jesus in the apostles. And I know it's tempting to think that God is not in control, isn't it? I mean, have you looked around? It's easy to think that God is not in control, but that's precisely why Luke tells us these two stories. Combined, Ascension and Pentecost declare that God is in control. Jesus is still on the job, despite what the headlines and circumstances might indicate. The apostles, filled with the Holy Spirit, began the work of Jesus' sovereign and saving rule over the world because he is Lord over the entire world. How else could they heal the sick? How else could they stand up to authorities and brave torture? How else were they set free from prison? All the stories that follow the story of Pentecost, the rest of the book of Acts and beyond, are clearly examples of God being in control, right? Now, let's pick up on something I said earlier. While there was nothing wrong with the disciples before Pentecost, they were, in a word, incomplete. They were powerless. Before Pentecost, they could only ask questions. After Pentecost, they stood in the power of the Holy Spirit and answered questions. After Pentecost, they began to change the world. It was the Spirit that made all the difference. And that just about sums up the whole book of Acts, all the way to when Paul arrives in Rome and announces that God is king and that Jesus is Lord when he was right under Caesar's nose in the emperor's own household. So Pentecost is about the presence and power of Jesus at work in his people when everyone thought he was long gone and miles and miles away. Now, it might help us to remember why the book of Acts was written in the first place. It was written to encourage believers to stay strong in their faith. Luke wrote Acts to remind Christians that God, through the Holy Spirit, is still at work in this world. God is up to something, and Pentecost is a powerful reminder of that fact. Do you need to be encouraged in your faith? Look at Pentecost. Do you need to be reminded that God is always in control? 
look at Pentecost. You see, the Spirit is not the down payment of what is to come for us as God's people. The Spirit is the sign of what God is doing now and what God is going to do for the whole earth and for all of creation. Pentecost is about the implementation of Jesus' restorative rule on earth accomplished through his people who are and must be filled with his Spirit. Because at the heart of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit is all about creating God's new temple. Let me explain. You see, in Judaism, heaven and earth met, they overlapped, they intersected in the temple. But now, Luke says, Jesus, through his ascension, has taken earth into heaven, and the Spirit, through Pentecost, has brought heaven down to earth. Jesus, in his own human body, took earth into heaven, and then the Spirit brought the life of heaven here to earth. Because of ascension and Pentecost, heaven and earth are now locked together in a firm and unbreakable Trinitarian embrace. As God the Father welcomed the human Son to his rightful seat as Lord of the world, and then he poured out his own Spirit upon Jesus' followers. That's us, so that we can be and accomplish God's new creation. So do you know what that means? It means that if you are a child of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are the intersection, you are the overlap of heaven and earth. So that where you are and what you do and the words that you speak are a reflection and revelation of God to everyone around us. Isn't that amazing? So friends, our lives are to be reflections of how things ought to be. Our lives are to be reflections of how things will be when Jesus comes to establish his new heaven and new earth once and for all. And we cannot be that or do that unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. This is the solid rock on which our Christian mission is built. This is the solid rock on which the church must stand and live and worship. This is why, on the day of Pentecost, Peter's sermon, which we would have heard if we kept on reading today, wasn't about how people can have a new spiritual experience. It's the good news that God's new day has dawned. The great and glorious day of the Lord the prophets told us about has finally come. And whether we can see it or not, we believe that Jesus is now firmly in control. By the way, being in control is not the same thing as being controlling. Our crucified, resurrected, and ascended Jesus has been exalted as King and Lord over the whole world, and the gifts of the Spirit are given, not just to comfort or inspire or to enlighten us for our own private benefit, but to send us out as ministers and proclaimers of this new day and reality. Jesus is not gone. He is here. Jesus has not left us alone and powerless. He is close by, and he is in control. And heaven and earth have overlapped in the life of each and every believer. So we are called to be apostles, sent out ones with the message that soon heaven and earth will intersect forever, for everyone, everywhere, and God will make right every wrong, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. In the meantime, we are empowered and employed to make wrongs right, to heal and to help, 
to love just as if heaven was really, truly here, just as if Jesus was really, truly here, because he is. Let's pray. Good and gentle God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for the gift that enables our prayer, reads our hearts, and guides us on our journey. Thank you for a gift that empowers the church and gives it strength to speak your word boldly. Thank you for the gift that builds up your body and makes it a blessing to others. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, your presence in our hearts and in your world. Thank you for your spirit that makes weak hearts strong, the spirit that is here today feeding the hearts of a world that hungers. Continue to comfort us, we pray. Continue to use us, to empower us, to be your people in this world. As the pandemic continues, we pray for those afflicted and affected by COVID-19. Help us to bring your love and your healing to those who desperately need it. Help us to comfort and care for those who are the last, the least, the lost, and the left out. And now, using the words debts and debtors, let us pray with boldness the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Well, thanks for joining me today. Now, your job this week is to love at least three people and make sure at least one of them doesn't deserve it because everyone needs love and everyone needs to know that God loves them no matter what. Please don't let these trying days rob you of your joy. With Jesus, we always, always, always have hope. Now receive these words of benediction. The Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and grant you his presence and his peace. Amen. Amen. <laughs>